Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Eyes of the Mize. My name is John. That's Ian. What's up? I'm in the Pacific Northwest this week, and I missed it a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I'm on I'm a sure business. Multi- <laughs> I'm on a business trip, so yay for recording on business. I'm sure there's a multitude of other reasons why you would you like being in the Pacific Northwest, but we won't get into them here. I mean, to be fair, she might actually <laughs> stop in <laughs> during the middle of the recording. Yes, you might have a surprise guest of uh, of Ian's wife, Lindsay. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, but today is February 11th. This is episode 139. Once more unto the breach. Yes. Yep. Uh, we're going to talk about all of the <laughs> uh, Players Tour regionals. That happened these past couple of weekends. They were in Brussels, they were in Nagoya, and they were in Phoenix. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, kind of what came out of those. We have another. We have the big players tour coming up here, probably in a couple of weeks. Uh, big eyes of the community stuff right now. Uh, the World Championships this weekend. If you didn't know, Wizards has actually been hyping it up, which is great. Um, I'm, and I'm the not, one thing that's weird, I'm not going to lie. I've been seeing players who are starting to post the. Pictures of arriving there, and I'm like, oh my god, it looks so gorgeous, Hawaii. Uh, I saw I saw Kibler's photos of him arriving, and I'm like, I remember that. I remember that. I know exactly where you are where you took that photo. Um, <laughs> that was actually the player I was referencing. He's like, it's gorgeous yeah. here, and this is just the airport. And I'm like, oh, I need to go there. <laughs> it's great. Um, so go watch that. Funny thing about the the World Championship is that they are doing a paper draft and then importing the decks to arena to play on there's got to be a better way nope well here's my t- here's my hot take lukewarm take i think it's a lukewarm take because i know i know other people like this one too is that this actually a really great idea to be honest is that yes you get the paper draft cool whatever but for playing wise arena's interface just is and this is something like after watching coverage this past weekend of the pro tour in uh, phoenix is that man i really forget just how weird it is to watch limited on stream and paper because the angles aren't the greatest but uh, arena especially if they do the top down thing like they usually do for wizards productions of you know, the mpl weekly splits and stuff like that it's going to be just fine so i think it's actually going to turn out better with them doing it that way than if they were just straight up doing it you know a willy-nilly i agree with that i agree that arena is a much nicer interface to show people how the game is being played i agree there the other thing and now wizard the arena team did say that eight person real human drafts are coming this year at some point in the future i'm thinking like december we'll see um the reason why they're not in it now is there's a reason I hope it is, and there's a reason I, I wish it isn't. The reason I hope it is is that there's some irreconcilable difference in the coding of Arena that has been causing a problem that is just catastrophic to the to the program as to why these eight-person drafts with all humans aren't working in Arena right now, and that they're working on it to get it out by the end of the year. That's what I hope. I just think it's not I ready hope. for I just think it's not ready for prime time yet, to be perfectly honest with you. That would be my just base assumption. Which is kind of in that same that same kind of progression, right? There's a problem, they fixed it. There's a new problem, they fixed it. And they're just getting it, getting its reps in before it's ready for public consumption when they reveal it. Now, then again, the fact that there's still a lot of crashes in Arena makes us uh, wonder whether or not they were, you know, fully ready to 
put Arena back out of beta and into alpha, but we'll see. And the reason I hope it's not mean, is that... I mean live, because alpha's before beta. Right. Well, yeah, beta before open game, whatever. Not yeah, the... yeah, Op- open public uh, release, I got you. Exactly. Uh, and I hope it's not them trying to find the best way to market it, because here's the thing. If eight-person drafts on Arena are going to cost the same as Magic Online drafts, that's not going to fly. It's just not going to fly. Yeah, well, I because mean, because they need the right they need the right mix of the economy, and that's going to be a big thing that people are going to try to figure out. Yeah, especially because with Magic Online, you have the resaleability factor of, hey, look, I just opened an Euro, and I can sell this on Magic Online because it's going for fifty tickets right now. Because, as in any playable mythic on Magic Online these days, it's a bajillion tickets. Looking at you, uh, brazen borrower, still. It's like still $25, $30 worth on Magic yeah. Online. It's ridiculous and gross. I mean, there's an entire another conversation we we can have about, you know, three mana Simic Mythics in the last couple of sets. Or We're not going to have that conversation well, right well, now. Well, not even that. Just like, <laughs> it, and I'm more not even referencing like the power level of cards. I'm just talking like the playability of cards and the yeah. fact that people aren't drafting as much on Magic Online and opening quote unquote as much digital product as they used to just because of Arena. So it's just making... What would have normally been a lot cheaper a couple years ago, maybe, be, <coughs> I don't know, some percentage larger than it has. That I mean, yeah. granted, I'm not giving any like actual figures here just because, one, I don't have the math, but also it's just more of like a feel that the splashier Mythics, if you, it's kind of more the price delta. If you look at the, the price on Magic Online versus the price in paper, some of these cards are just wildly out of balance, and it's because yeah. it's just a mythic in a set that hasn't been opened a whole lot online. That's it. So, and even some like Arclight Phoenix are fairly expensive still, despite being standard legal. I haven't even checked Phoenix yet because ugh, that poor that poor. Deck. Last I checked, it was like thirty five. Let me check real quick. Might be a little more than that. It is. Oh, that's not all right. Come on, computer. Uh, it is down to seven tickets. Oh wow! I need to guess. Get my eyes checked out. Anyways, let's go ahead and move on. The to place that's twenty five bucks. <laughs> Jeez, let's move on to the reason why we're actually talking is we're going to talk about how Pioneer has developed since um, its inception because these are the first real big events, excluding SCG events, to highlight Pioneer. We've already had a, a small smattering of bands, um, the most recent of which were Oko. Um, to kind of help make sure that the format is running smoothly and is in a better place. And we're going to see kind I think of it, how... I think it is, honestly. Just jumping in quick. I think it's in a good place, yeah. But we'll get into the results for you now. Yeah, so, so we're going to start with uh, the Pro Tours, or the Players Tours that happened uh, two weekends ago, on the weekend of the 1st of February, which were Pro Tour Brussels in Europe and Pro Tour Nagoya in Japan. Um, the big deck that kind of made its biggest splash over the course of the weekend is a deck called Demir Inverter, which a couple people, including LSV in his Channel Fireball article, described as Demir Twin, which I really didn't like the name. Um, But what the deck is, is the blue-black kind of control deck that tries to win the game by playing Inverter of Truth, which is a two-black-black devoid 6-6 Eldrazi creature with flying that when it enters the battlefield, you exile your library face down, then shuffle your graveyard into your library. And then you ideally play Thassa's Oracle, which has, which is the best laboratory mana ever made, to win the game. 
And uh, alternatively, all right, Thassa's Oracle with a TLDR, by the way, is a blue, blue, one, three that it looks, it checks your devotion to blue. You look at the top X card, your library, you put one on top, or up to one on top and the rest on the bottom. If X is greater than or equal to the number of cards in your library, you win the game. You pair this with Jace Wielder of Mysteries, which has three blue pips along with the two blue pips in Thassa's Oracle. And you're hoping to have like at least five devotion to, and only four cards left in your deck. Also, Jace Wielder Mysteries acts as an additional win condition for the deck, and I also didn't go into Thassa's Oracle because I don't think there is even any way you could TLDR that card. Yeah, I did, I tried the best I could, and I still it's still <laughs> wordy. Yeah, so <sighs> the card is ridiculous. Demir Inverter was the big kind of breakout deck of the weekend. It was also very well pop well kind of populated at Player Store Phoenix. Uh, but looking at kind of the top results of the weekend at Pro Tour Brussels, we had a very diverse top eight. Uh, the only deck that had a repeat member was Bant Spirits. The others were all one-ofs. Mono Red Aggro, Mono Black Aggro, uh, Niv to Light, co one copy of Niv to Light, which is the five-color Niv-Mizzet Reborn Bring to Light deck. One copy of Lotus Breach, uh, which is a combo deck we talked about a, pr a couple episodes ago. Uh, one copy of Demir Inverter, then one copy of Sultai Delirium, which won the Pro Tour, which won this player's tour in the hands of Yoel Larson over uh, Peter Golgowski, who is playing the one copy of Demir Inverter. So you said that Inverter was kind of the real breakout deck. Like, honestly, people were people knew about Inverter going into it like the week before or so. It had become kind of a known quantity online. Um, people testing and everything like that for the SCG uh, team events had been kind of picking up on it. Uh, it had been putting up some results on Magic Online. Uh, the Sultai Delirium deck also kind of came out of nowhere. So yeah. it's also, by the way, like a $900 Pioneer deck. <laughs> yeah, Sultai Delirium is probably the most mid-rangey of the decks. It's, it's trying to capitalize on the Delirium mechanic from Shadows of Innistrad, winning in much the same ways that the, the Delirium decks were winning during Eldritch Moon Standard by getting a bunch of things in their graveyard, then getting their Embercool the Promised End, casting it, taking your turn, killing you. Uh, one of the big kind of standouts of the deck that's from recent sets is Uro being a creature you can play and immediately put into your graveyard that also draws you a card and ramps you because you want to be able to get to casting your Emrakul as quickly as possible. Oh yeah, and it's playing some like past Delirium style all-stars like Seder Wayfinder. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, no, that deck didn't even have Seder Wayfinder, did it? I don't think they I had Seder Wayfinder. But, this, but it's playing Wayfinder, it's playing Grizzly Salvage, which is the black and a green... Oh god, why are you taking forever to Instant load? from I think it is it from Return to Ravnica or is it from uh, it's Dragon's Mace? From, it's from RTR. So it's the okay. instant green or black and green instant uh, reveal the top five cards of your library. You may put a creature or a land card from among them into your hand, the rest on into your graveyard. So it basically feeds your graveyard four, which can help fuel your Uro coming out of the graveyard, because that's one more card and you're good to go with escape. So yeah. Uh, also, it's got Nissa who shakes the world, who can essentially be a win con on her own. Same with the Liliana, the Last Hope, if she runs away with the game. It's it's a very yep. it's a very solid uh, mid rangey deck. Oh, also, it's got Jay's friend's Prodigy for fueling that looting, so you can dump oh, stuff yeah. into the yard. It's a it's an incredibly solid deck. It's just expensive because JVP is now expensive again. It's like it's like two hundred like one hundred twenty for the play set. It's going to be like one hundred thirty, one hundred forty dollars. Good. Place it at Uro is $140. Place it at Thoughtseize is $120. You're running four Breeding Pool, which is going to run you 80 bucks. The shocks are just expensive. Yeah. Breeding Pool is 20 bucks now? What the hell? Yeah. <laughs> what the, what, because what because, Rock have I been living under? Yeah. Uh, 
Simic is good now, I guess. <laughs> it's kind of well, ridiculous. Who, who would have thought? Yeah, right. Even like, yeah, even the gate crash ones are 20 bucks. It's like, geez. Yeah, I know. It's, it's pretty nuts. So I was looking at it online. I'm like, what the, how did, why did you jump so much? All right, whatever. Yeah. But no. So overall, uh, pretty diverse top eight there. And then even <laughs> completely different story when you look at, uh, actually just looking at the, 10 win there was a 10 win deck that was demir inverter there was a azoria spirits at nine wins that wasn't running the uh collected company package which basically the bant spirits deck that's literally in the main board all it's playing uh there was some cyborg one of the guys uh Matiarizzi, was playing a miscutter hydra out of the board the other one was playing a or oh so was the other guy on that one uh, some of the other decks in some in Phoenix were playing. Oh God, what were they playing in that sideboard? Hold on, pulling it up real quick. The best sideboard card that you've the the best card that I've heard about in the sideboard of these Bant Spirits decks cracks me up. Which is permeating mass. Oh right, yeah. Someone was playing that. I'm like, why are you playing? Okay, it seems all right. For those who don't know, it's a green for a one three. Uh, that I don't know the exact wording of the ability, but basically anything that is that deals damage to it or it deals oh, damage hold on. to I have it, I have turns it. into a copy of it. Okay, so it's one green, one three. Whenever permeating mass deals combat damage to a creature, that creature becomes a copy of permeating mass. So it's just a card that can keep sneaking in for damage until your opponent wants to just make it a, a one three. It's, yeah. it's weird. It's hilarious. But yeah, anyway, so... It's looking back at the so Demir Inverter, Azorius Spirits, and Azorius Control. Those were the two nine wins. There was a smattering of cards at eight wins or decks at eight wins. A couple mono black. Some Is It in Soul, which has kind of fallen off the map. Uh, the Chonky Red or Big Red has also fallen off the map, but that had eight wins. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, if you're looking at a lot of these lists and stuff like that, you won't see the players' records next to it. You'll usually just see what their constructed record is, mainly because. Some of these players who got to 9 and 10 wins might have done great in draft. There are also players who might have spiked their day one of uh, constructed and then just bombed uh, draft and it looks like they're like at 6 and 3 or something, or 5 and 3 or like, whatever. As an example, Kenji Igashira, you know, known limited master playing in Pro Tor, playing in Players Tour Phoenix, excuse me, uh, went a total of 8 and 8 in the event. He went 1 and 5 in limited. Which is not usual for Kenji. Jeez. Sometimes yeah. that could just be bad seat in the draft pull pods, plural. Yeah. So yeah, the fact that it's a split format does mean that if you look, if you're just looking at the top eight, it doesn't tell you the whole story about the formats. And we'll get into some of the data a little bit later that we do have access to um, to talk about Brussels and Phoenix and how decks kind of maneuvered around in Pioneer. And uh, so, but remember that a lot of these players had to have at least minimally decent records in limited. And so while we're going to talk, we, we mentioning the, the wins here, if you look at data for players toward Nagoya, and we're, I'm referencing MTG Goldfish as I usually do for these kind of things because the way they expand their decks and stuff is kind of nice for us to talk about it. Um, players toward Nagoya, unfortunately, past the top eight, doesn't have any placement data. So we only know the top eight spots and then who knows, but well, the funny thing about the PT Nagoya is that there's a meme running around for many, many years. um, Thanks to Saffron Olive highlighting, you know, unique and weird decks. And the Japanese meta has always had kind of newish decks and unique decks kind of pop out of there that do kind of things that you wouldn't expect to do or things that you wouldn't see normally. Um, the the joke of the small local Japanese tournament. 
um, and like these really weird decks taking the formats down. Uh, PT Nagoya lived up to that a little bit um, because of the eight decks, we had five copies of Demir Inverter, which was this was the big breakout tournament for the deck. Uh, then you have one copy of Bant Spirits, one copy of Mono Black Vampires at the hands of, oh, what was his name? Dmitry Budakov. Dmitry Budakov. And then one copy of Sram Auras. By Ken Yukihiro. Yeah, Ken Yukihiro brought Sram Auras. It's a white-black Auras deck playing Sram, Senior Edificer. He's a one-in-a-white 2-2 Dwarf Advisor that whenever you cast a vehicle, aura, or equipment, you draw a card. Uh, also uses new card from Theros, Hateful Eidolon, a black 1-2 with lifelink, that whenever a creature dies, if you, for every aura, atta- every aura that you control attached to it, you draw a card. Um, and... Ken Yukihiro was just running through people. He got all the way to the finals where he lost to Kenta Harane on Bant Spirits. Yeah. Uh, Stram Auras looks hilarious. Uh, don't know how well if it even put data up at... Um, I don't think it had enough pilots for, <laughs> for it to pop up at Phoenix. Uh, there was three... I'm sure there were a couple. Two or three of them. Yeah, yeah. Scott Lip had five wins in standard with it. Uh, someone had four wins and then two wins. Yeah, according to the data. Um, so didn't didn't yeah, really so do nearly as hot. Then again, that's their constructed record. Yeah. So now the big thing with the Demir Inverter pilots uh, in Nagoya, they were uh, Akira Asahara, Shintaro Ishimura, Yuta Takahashi, who's a who's a player store all stay, and then uh, PT Hall of Famers Shoto Yasuoka and Lishi Tian. Um, I managed to watch one of Shota's matches, or a couple of Shota's matches, actually. One was against um, Kenyuki Hiro on Sram Auras, which is very interesting to watch. And then the other one was against uh, Alexander Hain, who, instead of deciding to go to Phoenix, went to Nagoya to play in this player's tour. Uh, and Alexander was also playing Demir Inverter. Yeah, there's a couple of there's a couple of players who crossed over across the pond and stuff. Yeah. Uh, Luis Salvado was there, <clears throat> Christian yeah. Calcano. Uh, yeah, uh, but Shota's deck was heavily teched for the mirror. Like I remember seeing his deck list get popped up on screen, and I'm sitting there going, "Like that's one copy of the Scarab God, and one copy of Ashiok Nightmare Muse, and one copy of Mystical Dispute in the main deck." Oh yeah. Like, like what? He, like he was heavily tech for the mirror, and in the game, I, in the match I watched against Alexander Hain, all of those showed up. This mystical dispute showed up big. It's a huge sideboard card, great against other blue decks. He won game one because uh, he had because he managed because Shota managed to get Alexander Hain down to like six life. Uh, Shota had stuck a Scarab God. Um, Alexander got to zero cards in library with a Jace the Wielder of Mysteries, but no way to draw cards. So he passed the turn, and on and on Shota's upkeep, he activated the Scarab God to reanimate Shota's own Inverter of Truth in the graveyard to put it into play to have Alexander Hain lose a life, and then sh- and then and then the Scarab God attacks for six or attacks for five to kill Alexander Hain in game one. Oh man! And then in game two, Alexander Hain was on the game plan that these Demir, Demir Inverter decks will eventually get to, where sometimes if you have a four mana six six flyer, that's gonna be good enough. And so he slammed it. Had like five cards in his library. It was his only win condition left. He was attacking. He had showed it down to like eight life or whatever. And Alexander had no cards in hand. Shota was like, Edge Nightmare Muse, minus three, bounce your inverter, exile a card from your hand, which gets rid of it completely. And Alex had no win conditions and had to concede. <laughs> that is some spice. Yeah. 
So there's a lot of room for um, movement in this Demir Inverter deck because it's a blue. It's it's a blue. It's a combo deck that gets to play blue for permission and black for discard, which makes it really really hard for some decks to attack and kill. Um, and kill. Um, and so going into PT Phoenix, you know Demir Inverter kind of had a little bit of a target on his back, being one of the best decks of the format. And uh, well, in the in the top eight, we see two copies of Demir Inverter. Uh, we have two copies of the breakout deck of Protor Phoenix, Lotus Breach, uh, one copy of Red Deck Winds, one copy of Blue White, one copy of Bant Spirits, and one copy of Soul Tide Delirium, with the finals going to Corey Burkhart winning with Demir Inverter over William Huey Jensen on Lotus Breach. And it wasn't even really close of a final, sadly. Mm. Yeah, uh, I didn't get a chance to watch the finals, but reading the th- reports of it, basically, Huey got stuck on one land. And, or, or was was unable to cast his bre- or cast his lotus because he didn't have a second land to sack or whatever yeah. to it. And uh, yeah, Lotus Field is the lotus part of Lotus Breach. It's a land. It's a hexproof land that taps for three mana, three mana of any one color. But when it comes into play, you sacrifice two lands. So there's not a real good way to play it unless you have more lands. Yeah, he, it, this would have um, been the, the other land in play, so he would have had to sack yeah. it to itself, which. Kind of and like stinks, as an but... example of how big of a coup this is, based on the data for Protor Phoenix, Demir Inverter had a 38% win percentage against Lotus Breach. Huey was heavily favored as a matchup against Corey's deck, but just didn't get there. Yeah, and then the second game, he kind of just, I think, petered out or something happened. But either way, it was definitely, uh, Dig Through Time right now, I think, kind of has the big target on its head yeah. in terms of it's fueling the Demir Inverter decks and it's just a dang good magic card. Yeah. So like talking about Demir Inverter real quick, like at Pro Tour Brussels for the data we have, it had a 54% win rate at Brussels. That number is probably higher for Nagoya considering you put up five decks in the top eight. Uh, that fell a little bit to 53%, 53% win rate at Phoenix, but that's pretty fine overall. The big thing that changed from the previous weekend to Phoenix, however, is that at Brussels, um, Demir Twin ha- or Demir Inverter had a 36% win rate against Mono Red and a 38% win rate against Mono White. Those numbers just flipped. At at Phoenix, Demir Inverter was 60% to beat Mono Red and 73% to beat Blue or beat Mono White. It just turned its worst two matchups into one of it, two of its best matchups. And people were trying to figure just out by changing sideboard cards. Yeah, and like also the, I guess people who were actually playing those decks might have also not have shown up in numbers or had different tech and stuff like that and just got trounced. To be fair, also, mono black aggro basically is just an auto loss against Breach and Delirium. Yeah, mono black has fallen off the map. It it was a a coin flip to win at PT Brussels. It has a really good game plan, thought seize, attack with really aggressive creatures. Losing Smuggler's Copter hurts, uh, but... It only beat Lotus Breach 6% of the time. It beat Sultai Delirium 11% of the time. Yeah, I think, Mono Black just doesn't have the tools to attack these combo decks. Yeah. So what it was is the fact that I kind of mentioned Delirium was one of the decks that kind of really broke out at Brussels is that it put on the map for players who like that kind of mid-rangey thing because those particular mid-range decks of, of Sultai Delirium just absolutely thrash both the Mono Black and the Mono Red aggro things because they just get completely outclassed after like turn four they also have one of the best aggro trumps in ishkana oh absolutely just like 
Ugh. Yeah, it's it's absolutely gross how much of a beating that is against it. Now, what's kind of funny is uh, so kind of a tier two ish advanced spirits, which honestly is a deck I'm looking at picking up just because. I mean, it's kind of like the deck I used to play. Plus, I don't really feel like cracking delirium and paying out, you know, out the butt for it because my god, it's expensive. Plus, it just feels like the old Bant deck from back in the day, which is kind of rad. Uh, what's kind of nice? Well, you don't get you, you don't get Reflector Mage. Uh, you play in the sideboard. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah, you usually run that out of the sideboard. Uh, however, Spirits gets trounced by the aggro decks against Mono Black Vampires. Yeah. It, it had a more better game against Black Aggro, but Mono Black Vampires with its life gain just absolutely thrashes spirits that had like a 13% win percentage. Azorius Control, it's just god-awful against. It had like a 29% win yeah. rate against it. So there's there's very much a rock-paper-scissors-ish battle going on right now in Pioneer. And it's kind of great actually to see that it actually yeah. we actually do have that kind of mid-range beating aggro but combo beating mid-range now i mean there is combo like i think the the, the mirror inverter deck is cute um i think it is the first purely pioneer deck that we've seen um it's not a it's not a powered up standard deck and it's not a dumbed down modern deck like it is just its own entity that really can only exist and thrive in this format like think about modern before the mox opal ban no one was really clamoring for affinity and legacy no. Because, you know, the the tools to combat it are stronger there. Uh, I saw that somebody was putting together a Demir Inverter deck for Modern. I don't think they got they played it anything, but it was interesting to look at. No, what's, what's kind of really... But I don't think it's going to be as good in that format as this one. Yeah, and one of the big pieces that you lose there is Dig Through Time. Dig Through Time not existing in Modern really kind of hurts because the, the thing with Dig being such a great thing for the Inverter deck is with Delve, you can literally just eat your entire graveyard then put that one card back on your library with inverter. So then, or you like, it cuts you down to the point where if you already, if you, you dig for a Thassa's Oracle, make sure you have it in hand, cash inverter truth, eat all your stuff with dig. And then all you're looking at is like, okay, one or two cards, play Thassa's Oracle, I win. It, it helps and you. And even ignoring that, you know what, you know, another reason why the, the inverter deck is going to be worse in modern? Why? Fetch lands. Oh, true. Cause like, yes, you could play this deck without fetches, but you're probably going to want to play it with fetches. And like you're, if you're playing it with fetch lanes, that's extra cards that's clogging up your graveyard that when you inverter, your deck's going to be at least 50% bigger than it would be if you're playing Pioneer. So I think that it, that's a interesting way to look at it. And yes, you could still build it without fetch lands. I think, honestly, you're, you could build it without fetch lands or you just run stuff like Gurmag Angler and Tassiger. Yeah, absolutely. Which people were actually talking about well. like just running like a two of each of those in the deck. As like and I was talking about like, Shoda, and Shoda, I think he Shoda got to the top four with his version, um, his version of Demir Inverter. He was playing the full Ford Inverter of Truth. He was only playing two Thassa's Oracles and three Jace's main deck. Yeah, because if like the card, this thing can churn through its deck, yeah, very quickly. Now, moving on to the breakout deck of PT Phoenix was this Lotus Breach deck. Now, whether that was pilots, because you have. Protro Hall of Famer Huey Jensen playing it or who whatever the deck just exploded at PT Phoenix. It had a 62% win percentage um, overall, and its weakest matchup was Mono Red, and it was still winning 41% of the time. I don't think any of its other matchups were even close to un- were were below 50%. Now, um, to be fair, you have to mention that 
basically a very similar like deck to the one Huey was playing. Made top eight in Brussels. So I don't think it was playing the full... Okay, it was playing Vizier of Tumbling Sands. This one actually had a weird, interesting Vosses, single sense Vosses Oracle, but it, it's still doing the same thing. But it was putting up some decent numbers. Just yeah. it, And I know Caleb Shearer was playing this in the Pioneer seat at one of the team opens not too long ago as well. Yeah. Um, and how this deck has evolved from the people just doing the, oh man, Chronic Flooding and this is really cute, and then I just cast my Vosses Oracle from the graveyard win, is... They just don't play any win conditions in the main deck. <laughs> they just use Fey of Wishes, cast Granted, go get Jace Wielder Mysteries from the sideboard. Yeah. That's... Or they go get whatever they need. Like there's Ugin you can get for, you know. Yeah, they, people are basically mana. playing people are basically playing Twiddlestorm with the uh Essentially, yeah. With the uh what's it called? The drowned one. Or no. Yeah, uh with hidden strings. For hidden strings. Yeah, the hidden strings and the flooding. I think I think the deck still play, still plays hidden strings. No, it does um, no, wait. To... That's 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 the main fuel for it is hidden strings, but I'm talking the uh, what's it called? Yeah. The chronic flooding. Yeah. I don't think they're playing chronic flooding. Uh the the real tech right now is uh Pioneer All Star Tome Scour. Yes. Blue instant target player puts the top five cards of their library into their graveyard. Tome scour plus hidden strings plus underworld breach plus a lotus field is more than enough mana, more than enough cards in your graveyard to eventually get a Fey of Wishes, which you can which you can escape the granted side from your graveyard, by the way, to get your Jace, play your Jace, win the game. Yeah, it's it's pretty crazy how this deck can cook off. Uh, I've lost to it once or twice on Magic Online, and I was just like, F6, or 6, whatever you want to do now, just have at it, homie. Cook off. Yeah. Also, I was right. Heliod Walking Ballista just isn't good enough. It had a 38% win rate at PT Phoenix. It only Its only favorable matchup was Sultai Delirium, which it beat 67% of the time. And it now at PT Brussels, it did have a 53% win percentage. But remember what we said earlier about Demir Inverter? How Demir Inverter went from a dog to mono white to a favorite against mono white? That was probably a big reason why. Now, what's interesting is the first mono green ramp deck, which back... <laughs> which to be fair was one of the best decks in the early weeks of the format in the early month or two of the format. The best record it put up was six wins at, or that was in Brussels. Let's check Phoenix. Wow. Really? Wow. (laughs) What? What'd you find? Like one player was playing mono green ramp. (laughs) It doesn't surprise me. The ramp decks just aren't, just weren't represented or just weren't good. Yeah, I see seven copies when I search for ramp, and the top one was six wins with Simic ramp. Like yeah. the the days of ramping out the green stuff, like those targeted bands that Wizards did. Good job, Wizards! You nerfed the yeah. you, you nerfed the archetype into the ground, which to be fair was kind of nice because those things were ridiculous, and it it's let stuff like breach thrive. Honestly, yeah. Now. Another thing that I'll point out is that all the data that we're looking at is coming from MTG Goldfish. We've put a link to both the PT Phoenix and PT Brussels data in the uh, show notes below. Um, And at the end of the PT Phoenix one, Seth goes into a little thing of, you know, well, what's going to happen now? And I wanted to do a little bit of where Pioneer goes from here. And Ian already hinted at it. Dig Through Time has a big target on its head. Yeah, it's it's the boogeyman of the format right now, which is funny considering the fact that we also have Treasure Cruise. But the thing is, Treasure Cruise doesn't give you card selection. Like card draw, raw yeah. card draw is great. And honestly, I could see these inverter decks switching over 
to running Treasure Cruise if they lose Dig Through Time just to get more cards drawn. I I don't agree with that. No? Because Demir Inverter, like, Splinterton would play... Okay, if we had Splinterton in Modern and Treasure Cruise in Modern, I think Splinterton would play Treasure Cruise. But Dig Through Time is just way better. Like, Treasure Cruise in, in Demir Inverter would be like a C-level card. It'd be replacement level. Whereas Demir Inverter is like an A+. Uh, or dig through times an A plus in, in Demir Inverter. Because it digs because... seven down and you can grab the two win kinds pieces you need. Exactly. Yeah. And Lotus Breach only played one, but they may cast it multiple times thanks to, thanks to Underworld Breach. Um, but I think the dig through times days in the format are probably numbered. I'd give it another month or so, I guess, before Wizards finally pulls the trigger and bans it. But yeah, so speaking of that. That's the card that if I'm looking at, I'm trying, I would be angling for because i don't think banning inverter truth does anything i don't think banning under uh, thassa's oracle does anything and i don't know if now is banning underworld breach a thing possibly it depends on how much more dominant uh lotus breach is going forward now the one thing that people have been saying too that pioneer has really been kind of good at lately is self-correcting uh there have been some cards that have needed to go and have gone from the format Honestly, I still think Othinus is kind of weird and funny, but to be fair, it really did need to go. It was making Planeswalker it, de- it was making Planeswalker decks way too good. But you can thank War of the Spark. Oh yeah, I mean, being able to cast any of your you slam that on one and being able to cast any of your uh, Teferis, regardless of color. <laughs> now it also it also had a problem with adding extra devotion for you know Leyline of Abundance, but that's that's a different conversation. I mean, yeah, but either either way. Uh, I I think that players will figure out a way to beat these two decks, at least for the time being, if they continue to be S tier or like tier zero and like you will play this deck or you have to beat it kind of thing. Um, I honestly think that I, there's ways to beat these decks. You just have to maybe prey on some of your draws. Uh, again, the fact that this is a very rock, paper, scissors feeling format with how some of these numbers match up with who's beating what and how they're beating each other like you said yeah it turned it's like uh you said with what's it called um inverter turned its worst matchups into some of its best matchups just in the just in the span of a week with changing its sideboard like once it's like once people see okay this is how this deck is winning this is how they're teching to beat us okay now we can tech against them it's it's the absolute cyborg counterplay that makes magic an amazing game to play if you enjoy that kind of thing you know one you have to cyborg against their main deck and then okay what do they have what might they have in something to beat me kind of thing so how how am i going to beat them trying to beat me and that is going to be the key to figuring this out now one thing i don't know if we did touch about how niv to light just fell off the map yeah it was it's a really sweet deck um, the, the Niv Mizzet Reborn plus Bring to Light five color decks. Getting all your gold cards is really really cool. It had one top eight appearance in Brussels, but it was awful. Now everywhere else. Now here's and here's another thing too. You have to kind of put a massive asterisk on that for how it made the top four is because it's in the hand of quite arguably one of the best players of all time. Yeah, I would say PV is now top three percentage i think he's bumped luis yeah. solidly down the four at this point uh yeah. so palavito domitorosa on niftalite is just by far and away he almost like he like grabbed the archetype because someone i was 
listening to, I think it was Pioneer or Arena Decklist, and they were talking about him with this deck. And I agree with them, both Jerry and Brian, in that the intricate selection of having something like Niv and you might hit two or three of the same color. PV might not pick the same thing that a regular player might pick, but P- like he can see how his card selection is going to affect a couple turns ahead, whereas a player might be playing two turns ahead. PV's playing like five or six turns ahead with his choices. That kind of like, it's a deck that I think rewards the player's skill level probably the most out of any deck in this format. I think that's 100% true as well. And you look at the Brussels data, I mean, Nip Delight had a 46% win percentage. How many of those games are thanks to Paulo? So, yeah, like he's playing like it's just pretty ridiculous just how it brought it up. Now, granted, also looking at his list, he didn't have a whole lot of overlap where some earlier Niv to Light decks that I was looking at would have a couple, you know, you would have some situational choices and overlap between your card selection. He really kind of doesn't have that. Like Dreadbore yeah. Slaughter Games is a crossover. Solar Blaze Nahiri is a crossover. And that's it. I mean, bring to light in Uro, but you're not going to ever pick bring to light in that situation. So yeah. he he did a good job in also tailoring his deck to eliminate a lot of those multi-choices where he would have needed it. But that said, I don't think it's a great choice to go for right now. It had its day in the sun. The, I guess the meta game. very confident. The metagame adapted. So unless you can tech it out to beat the big guns in the format. Nah. Yeah. So let's talk and, about let's talk about some stuff that kind of really fell off the deep end, right? So what? Let's see what else fell off. I mean, mono black we we kind of already mentioned just really did not do very very well. The ramp decks also didn't really show up that much. Uh, looking at the uh, pi- the phoenix results, uh, another one there was a another one. Sultai inverter deck yep. that showed up at phoenix uh, that was trying to splash green. And it did what it was supposed to do. It was better against Demir Inverter. It just wasn't really good against anything else. Yeah, so we only had one, according to the Phoenix decklist dump, and we got basically every decklist that was at these events, by the way. So there was one copy of Visit Phoenix. One. <laughs> yep. It got six wins. Is it in Seoul? Had six copies. The best it did was two wins in Cyrus Corman Gill's hands. Three players got one win with it, and then there was two others that I don't think even made it out of the draft. They must have 03 dropped or something because they put up no constructed number. So, yeah, there is it's it's pretty uh, telling. Oh wow, Sam Black Mono Blue Devotion didn't even have any winning numbers there. Yeah, some of these some of these Devotion decks, the Devotion decks itself have really not kind of uh, held up over time once people started doing some other stuff with it but yeah you basically need to start teching against beating uh breach and inverter now that said there's still room for innovation like kenjuki hero top aided uh pt nagoya with you know blue white blue or blue black auras yeah um and like like ian mentioned you know you look at how demir inverter improved some of his worst matchups to best based on sideboard teching and kind of playing that chess match there's definitely going to be room, and like for example, the winner of GP Phoenix. Um, I forget the player's name, but they're a known player. Ben Weiss they playing mono red. Yeah, Ben Weiss was playing mono red with main deck Aldrazi Obligators to take his opponent's Demir Inverters or Inverter Truth to hit them with. Yeah, it's like you made this. No, no, no. I made this. 
it's like, yes, a four mana six six will win games. I will take that and hit you with it. Yeah, and it's one so. way. It's one way for the mono red deck. Like he actually teched super small with his mono red Eldrazi deck. He wasn't going mid range. The highest card in his deck is four mana, and that's Torbran, and also for yeah. Thought Not Sierra, the sideboard. Yeah, but like, so it's definitely something that's really interesting to look at. Yeah, it's it's pretty. I really enjoy how people are teching their stuff. Now, granted, the rest of the top eight at the Grand Prix was Inverter to Spirits, Inverter, 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 Spirits, Inverter. So do that with your really will. good job. <laughs> I was also checking. I think the person who won the Pioneer PT at Phoenix was playing uh, Golgari Aggro, which is cool. Um, Wait, at the Grand Prix or a PTQ? The PTQ, sorry. The PTQ, Pioneer PTQ at the uh, at Phoenix. Yeah, there's a Golgari Stompy with, deck. Hunter Bolding. Yes. Uh, playing Yorvo, Steel Leaf Champions, Rotting Reggies, uh, well, the whole shebang. Well, I'm, I have the deck list up. Uh, in the main deck, do you want to know how many black cards are being played? Uh, I looked earlier. I think it's like two separate black cards are being played in the main deck. One of those Rotting Regisar. The other black card, I think, is like Abrupt Decay, but then there's also Scrap Heaps Grounders, which aren't technically a black card. I mean, if you're going by Commander rules, yes, it is a black color identity card. But yeah, Scrap Heaps Grounder oh, and boy, Rotting we're Reg... Not having, we're not having that debate right now. I'll have it later, <laughs> but not right now. Oh yeah, that was a whole separate drama, by the way, if you if you weren't aware of that. Uh, <laughs> we'll have it another time, yeah, not right now. that is definitely not the, the time, neither the time nor the place. But yeah, it's got Push, Thoughtseize, Trophy, and Ley Lines in the sideboard. But it's just Scrap Heap Scrounger using black to return and then Rotting Registor. So, mono-ish splash. So, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's close enough. Yeah, it's definitely a thing. I would... Now, oh, what, how can I convince them also, we had, to play the juice? Now, keep in mind, we also had... <laughs> the juice. Oh, my God. Um, we also had the SCG Team Tournament this past weekend. I... Oh, God. Harlan Fear, uh, Zach... Alan and I forget the third member of the team. I want to say it was Danny Jessup, maybe? They took it down. Harlan Fear is an amazing magic player, having lost to him in an in, at a legacy seat in a win and in. Dude's great. Hilarious. Great, great opponent to play against, too, but uh, really good at magic. But there was also Pioneer Classic in Philly this past weekend. I didn't even t- get to talk about Philly. Oh, man, Philly was great. Um, I'll, I'll talk on that in a second. We're, we'll transition to that. We're, we're mostly done with the other, like the pro tours and stuff, right? Pretty much. Okay, cool. Just wanted to make sure because I, yeah. lo- I was looking at the show I notes. Say that if you're, if, of- I will say that if you look at, if you're trying to look at team events for what to do in a format, I would put a grain of salt on it. Just FYI. Oh, absolutely. I'm not. I'm looking at the Pioneer Classic from Philadelphia, yes. which is the Sunday side event kind of thing. So if you bomb out of day one, you don't make day two, you can go play the classics. Uh, Soltai Delirium won that one, followed by Mono Black Aggro at two, Bant Spirits at three, Inverter at four, Five Color Niv in fifth, Demir Inverter in sixth, Lotus Breach in seventh, and a Jeskai Fires deck in eighth. Mm. Yeah. Uh, mm. Fae of Wishes, Nimble Obstructionist, Gideon of the Trials, Narset, uh, Three Mana, Teferi, Elspeth Sun Champion at the top end, Sarkon. The, it's, it's basically a Jeskai... Uh, fires yeah nimble instructions gives you something to do with your mana that can also just stop troublesome things from happening yeah i don't hate it yeah it's a fires deck that's basically super friends i can dig it yeah elspeth sun's champion sarkhan the maskless nahiri the harbinger gideon alive zendikar with some 
with six board wipes in the main. <laughs> nice, nice. Three nice, anger, nice, three nice. supreme. Yeah, it looks pretty. That looks a pretty interesting. Fun deck. Um, but yeah, there's a Golgari scales deck. So that's a uh, hardened scales in tenth. So there's still, there's places to go with these things still um, in Pioneer, which is pretty cool. So keep trying. If you've got a pet deck, you want to keep trying archetype wise. It, there's still stuff out there to find. It's just you gotta <laughs> keep an eye on the big the big dogs. We're gonna wipe the floor with you if you aren't ready for them. Mm-hmm. So it's not one of those things where it's like, oh, let me pray to God I don't hit like my worst matchup that happens to be like three percent of the field when it's twenty percent of the field. Yeah, you better run. You better be ready. Indeed. So speaking of Philly, uh, I went this past weekend to SCG Philly. Could only go one day because again, I'm on that lovely business trip. Uh, so. I figured I would go up just for the... So I drove up on Friday night to my dad's house, which is like 30, 40 minutes away from the event. Drove in on Saturday bright and early to hit the 9.30 Modern uh, Challenge, which is a four-round event. And if you go 3-0-1, you get 370 prize tickets. My goal was to 3-0-1, two events, with (laughs) the old lovely standby of Infect. And guess what I did? 301 Three oh one. <laughs> I did it. So here's the thing. Right now in Modern, which nobody's really talking about it too much because and there's not a whole lot of Modern events going around, but a lot of people are trying to do stuff in turn four with Modern. Uh, Titan decks primarily are some of the big, uh, the big things I was looking at when I was picking my deck for this weekend when I wanted to go up. Plus, I just love a chance to get to play, in fact. I mean, why not? It's a pet deck. Love playing it. But I, I think right now... In my past, oh God, I want to say 12 matches that I played with Infect on Magic Online and at GP New Jersey side events and now SCG Philly, I'm 12 and 0. I haven't lost, or uh, 9 0 and 3. I haven't lost a round yet in like three or four events with it. So I'm feeling like the deck is not bad right now. I've even beat the mirror in one of those games so yikes um i actually got car killer status yet again if you we talked about uh gp new jersey a little bit how i got car killer status by beating guys who who traveled in rounds one and two i did that and not just rounds one and two of the first challenge but then beat their other car mate in round one of the second event (laughs) so jeez i really was just like brutalizing people who came down and traveled together but he can't keep getting away with this i can i'm doing it <laughs> but no uh in fact is just i'm having a blast with the deck right now uh teching it a little bit once upon a time broken as heck magic card i will keep playing it as long as wizards lets me if you follow me on twitter you saw me tweet that because oh my god i cannot tell you like i actually pulled off a turn two win just because so the god hand that i had right and this is just the sheer strength of Once Upon a Time in the Hand. So I had Fetchland to get me, you know, Breeding Pool. I had a Ink Moth Nexus. I had a Once Upon a Time. I had a Blighted Agent. And then I had Scale Up, Might of Volcrosa, and Become Immense. So literally I was looking at, okay, I Once Upon a Time and I better hit either a Glistener Elf or a Noble Hierarch. Well, I hit both and th- three lands. So I went with the Glistener Elf. Stuck with turn one Glistener Elf, passed the turn. The poem was like, all right, did something on turn one, played a land, and then 
did something. I forget exactly what they did, but I was like, okay, cool. Turn two. Had a draw card off the top of my deck. If the top card of my deck was a land, or a colored source, I win the game. Hit a fetch land, fetch away, grab a forest, scale up, become a man, or not become a man, uh, Might of Volcrosa, turn two. Just like, oh, I know what it was. I was playing against a Tron player, and they played an expedition map on turn one. <laughs> yeah, but you, your entire point of your deck is to feast on Tron. Oh, I lost to them game That's one. That's like a 90-10 matchup. It's like a 90-10 matchup. Yeah, that, that 10% I actually hit in game one. It was, I had to fight through a turn three Karn, a turn five uh, Oblivion Stone, a, t- uh-huh. a turn seven Oblivion Stone, uh-huh. And then a turn eight, Karn the Great Creator. And then the next uh-huh. turn on nine, they got Mycosynth, or not Mycosynth last. Uh, they got. Uh, yeah, that card's banned. No, no, no. What's the other one? Liquid Metal Coating. And started uh-huh. stone raiding me. <laughs> yeah, that'll loop. <laughs> yeah, I was like, and we're that'll done. That'll loop pick. Yeah, but then I ended up beating them in three games. So I, I went 2 0, 2 1, 2 0, intentional draw. I went 2 1, 2 0, 2 0, intentional draw in philly now i played probably one of the best games of magic i've actually played in a very long time and also was confirmed by the judge and my opponent were like it was just a nail biter went down to turns against a uh, blue black wurza now mm-hmm. i it went to turns my opponent was at nine and i had a noble hierarch on the battlefield they had been picking away everything they were hellbent this was like turn one of turns i've been turn two or turn it was turn one or three but it was turn one. I had just drawn a Blighted Agent for the turn. I was like, all right, cool. I had a Blighted Agent, a Scale Up, and a Lines of Vast Wooden Hand. My opponent had a Jace, or not Jace, Urza with two minus one, minus one counters on it, and a Sword of the, a Sword, or a Sword? No, Stop Their Foundry out. Hellbent, no cards in hand, but they had a Sword in their graveyard. So if my opponent top decks a, uh, artifact or basically draws anything and it can use his he can basically spin his Urza into getting a thing but he just decides not to block or I, I say scale up my Noble Hierarch making it a 6-4 right and then swing with it making it a 7-5 my opponent goes no blocks show me you have it and I'm like alright kicked vines of Vastwood you w- I win <laughs> and everyone's like why didn't you block because <laughs> if my opponent blocks there what I do is I just go okay kill your urza i'll play blighted agent and then my opponent had me shuffle the deck and cut it you know like you would just go through the actions kind of thing like that because he had a fetch or whatever so he fetched something he's like all right show me let's do this if i were drawn he would have drawn an arkham's astrolabe which would have been the artifact he would have needed to sack to his thopter so he could have gone from nine life backed up to infinite life right but here's the thing. I would have played my Blighted Agent right after that turn. He would have had to fade me hitting him one time because I forgot to mention he was also at nine poison. <laughs> he was at nine life and nine poison. So, Jeez. yeah, I had him dead basically two ways. And even if he had blocked, I would have just been like, all right, cool. Blighted Agent, pass the turn. If you can't deal with this Blighted Agent this turn, you're just dead. So It's always great when you can attack your opponent on multiple axes. Oh, the Noble Hierarch beatdown plan is hilarious and I love it. And I did it twice this weekend or past weekend. Listen, I have I have won many a game with elect- with Goblin Electromancer beatdowns. I'm not happy about them, but I've done it. <laughs> hey, sometimes you just got to. Although my my favorite my favorite win is still I'm playing as Mono White Prison. They have the Solemnity uh, Phyrexian Unlife lock. 
I get them to exactly zero, and then I wipe away their Phyrexian life, and then they lose the game. Ooh, wow. <laughs> That's my favorite one recently. Oh, I love it. So, but funnily enough, so the first event we had enough players that the top two t- the top two pairings were basically going three and zero. We both looked at each other, we're like lunch drop, lunch drop, cool. Shook hands, go. The second event had enough for three players on three and zero, and I got paired down against a two one player, which then led to let me show you the prize structure, <laughs> and the guy next to us actually didn't have his opponent show up for four, round four until like a little bit late who turned out it was my opponent from the previous round like he was literally just here i just played him he wasn't dropping so we were talking and telling the guy like look here's the deal if i win or lose it's only a plus minus 80 tickets for me but if you win or lose it's a plus minus 100 tickets if you do the split you're going to guarantee yourself like this many tickets otherwise you run the risk of boomer bust now here's like eh and eh, whatever, I'll just take the tickets and go. Turn, I was like, look, now that we've signed this shit slip, I'll give you 20 extra tickets because I didn't need it. It was 720 tickets for a booster box. I ended up with 740. So I just gave him 20 extra tickets because I didn't need it. But now I have booster box to play the booster box game. Now, there's booster box, uh, what's it called? Pack Wars with Lindsay, which is going to be fun. But yeah, it was, he had an actually interesting deck. It was like blue, black, or no, it was, it was red, black, elemental. Uh, God, what's the rejuvenate? Oh, God, unearth. Uh, are you talking about like the Thunderkin Awakener Skelemental deck? Yeah, I can dig it. Yeah, he had that deck, and it was pretty sick. I was like, yeah, that was pretty cool. We we played a fun game, and he beat. <laughs> he just thrashed me very, very mu- <laughs> poorly. But it's one of those. If I had known that I was just playing for fun, I would have sequenced things a little bit differently. I just ran out a naked. Uh, Elf on turn one with opponent on red mana. I was like, eh, whatever, let's just have fun. But yeah, yeah there you go. It was fun. I had a blast. Uh, again, if you have an event near for Magic and you want to go jam your deck, seriously, just take the time, go have fun, and uh, play some side events. But do it. Yeah, do it. Do it. So next event for me is going to be GP Reno in two weeks. It's two weeks, right? Hold on. Uh, it's in a time it's the 28th so not this weekend not the next weekend but the following weekend and then after th- i'm still finalizing my uh my my lineup although it's looking increasingly likely that i'm going to be going to mf phoenix or mf memphis in uh at towards the end of the year so nice i think and then after reno my next one is scg baltimore in mid-march and then i might i, I might go to uh scg worcestershire um uh, which is team constructed but we'll see worcester TBD. worcestershire <laughs> it was the best of shires it was the worcestershire oh my god all right yeah so and then after that one i think my next event isn't until like may so that'll be fun if you see me there say hi oh actually I had somebody who did pull me aside and said, hey, are you Ian D on Twitter? And I was like, yeah. Like, I love your content. I'm like, cool. <laughs> and we got chatted. She had a Pioneer deck she was playing. It was a red-black Vampire Madness deck that actually looked kind of cool. Nice. Yeah, so like, again, coming back to Pioneer, there's a lot of things. It might not be like, hey, I'm going to play win a Pro Tour with this deck, but it actually looked like a very sick little tech where she could discard to... Uh, What's the bloodline enchantment? Blo- uh, uh, 
Oh, crap. Call the Bloodline. That's the one. Yeah. So she could, like, discard her vampires to call the Bloodline to make a token and cast them. It was like, I'm like, that's pretty sick. So. There you go. Yeah. Ian. Yeah. If you wanted to figure out where you're at, how can they do so? Y'all can follow me on Twitter at DixonIJ. That is D-I-X-O-N-I-J. You guys can also find me at Twitch at twitch.tv slash Dix. I want to start streaming some, uh. Infect content just because you know nobody's playing modern right now, and I figure I might as well put that out into the world because hey, it's fun. Someone, someone has to be down with the sickness. Uh, I am absolutely. Oh, speaking of down with the sickness, brief side note uh, noted legacy infect madman, amazing player Sam Dams actually won an MKM legacy tournament this past weekend with legacy infect. So, hey, it's still good in multiple formats. Hey, anyway, John, where can they find you? You guys can find me on Twitter at jwiley129. That's jwiley129. You can also find me on Twitch at the same handle. If you see me around floating around the chat room, don't hesitate to say hi. At some point, if I ever get a better computer, I'll try to stream some Storm because there needs to be more Storm content as well. Well, another thing is, too, I also want to mention this, is that in maybe, I think, March, John and I are shooting to actually start streaming, recording episodes. So that's coming in a couple weeks. Just got to firm up, you know the layout and all that kind of stuff, but look for uh look for live recordings. Eyes on the live. But this is just gonna be like come a normal thing. Because why the yeah. hell not? I mean, might as well have some fun with it, right? Look, I, I've I've been sandbagging eyes on the live for a while, goddammit. <laughs> Anyways, if you want to reach the podcast directly, you can do so one of two ways. You can hit us up on Twitter at Eyes and the Mize, or you can hit us up on email at eyesandthemice at gmail.com. We would love to hear how we can best improve the podcast for you, our lovely listeners. On behalf of Ian, I'm John. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll talk to you all next time. Mm-hmm.